Well, hey there, we are in part three of our series. Uh, if you're new here, or if this is your first time here, we're especially glad that you're here. I want to back up for a moment before I dive into today's topic and uh, just talk about the season of Lent that we're in. I shared this a few weeks ago, uh, but there's never mere time, but frame time or structured time, scripts that have been handed to us that we follow on a daily basis. And sometimes that looks like a calendar that we follow. For example, if you have a child in the school district, in a few weeks, you have spring break. That means you take time off or you take your kids on a vacation and so forth. And there are so many different calendars and things, structures, scripts that we follow on a daily basis from culture. And for centuries, Christians have countered the pull of culture by following what's called the church calendar. The church calendar has its own seasons when it calls us to remember Christ and embed ourselves, not just within the story of what's happening within the world, but within the story of Christ. And in the church calendar right now, we are in a season of Lent. And Lent, if you're not familiar with it, is simply a season where we look inwardly to see our brokenness and allow God to meet us there. And so this is a season that we're going on for a few weeks leading up to Easter, and there are challenges and prompts and resources for you at outerwest.org slash Lent. Every day there's a communal prompt that we're calling all of us to follow and so forth. But it's a season where we draw closer to Jesus, where we make space so that we can be intimate with Jesus. And we talked about this idea of time. And for many of us, here's what, all of us, here's what time looks like. Seconds, you have minutes, you have hours in a day, you have days, you have weeks, you have months, you have years, you have decades, and so forth. And we know that we have time, but here's the one part, one aspect of time that we never think about and we feel uncomfortable thinking about is although we have time, none of us have unlimited time. You just lost a second of your life. Just lost another second. Since you've been at church this morning, you've lost about 25 minutes of your life. And it makes you feel uncomfortable, right? It makes you feel uncomfortable. We don't know how to react to it. We don't like thinking about it because our time coming to an end and this topic of death makes us feel uncomfortable. Sorry you showed up to church on the Sunday where we're talking about death. Um, if you're in that boat, I uh, know what it's like because I remember my first experience with death. Uh, I was about six, seven years old, and my parents took me to an open casket funeral. Thanks, Mom and Dad. And I remember it was in India, and it was outdoor. A lot of funerals in India are outdoors, and I vividly remember like it was near a railroad track. And it came for, uh, in the service. It was time for you to walk up to the casket, and people would pay their respects to this person and, and look at the body and move on. And here I am literally seeing death in the flesh, in person, experiencing it. And I walk up to this casket with my mom, and I faint, and I pass out. And then what I remember later on is waking up and my mom pouring water on me and I woke up in a house that was nearby. But this experience forever shaped my view of death. It was very uncomfortable for me. It was an unpleasant experience. I was afraid of death because I began to imagine the people in my life that I loved in that same casket. And it haunted me forever. People would talk to me about a loved one's passing away and I got really uncomfortable or I would be at funerals in church and feel really depressed. This is how bad it got. When I was a teenager, I used to write out because I thought about it so much. There was this unhealthy obsession with it because of this one experience that I had. I used to write out the speeches that I would share at my parents' funeral as a kid because I was so obsessed with it and I was afraid of it, uncomfortable by it. And I don't know about you, but maybe some of you are here and you're uncomfortable with this topic of death. Even this morning as I'm sharing, you're probably thinking, why can't you talk about something else than death? The reality is that 
mortality is difficult for human beings to grasp. And because we're afraid of it and because we don't like talking about it and because we're uncomfortable with it, what we do as people, as human beings, is we deny it. We delay it. We try to get around it. Here's some of the ways that we do that. Because we don't like talking about it, even in our language, it comes out as we get older, we say, oh, 40 is a new 30. Or we say 60 is a new 50. We say 80 is a new 70. I don't know if 80-year-olds are saying that. But even in our language, we try to get around this idea of dying. I don't know if you know this, but us Americans, we've been labeled a death-denying culture. Because a lot of what we do has to do with trying to get away from it. Think about the anti-aging industry. It is a $60 billion industry in our country. And experts predict that it's going to go up to a $100 billion industry just in a few years. There are 38 anti-aging labs in the entire world. 28 of them are found right here in the United States of America. And so what happens is our, as our bodies begin to decay and we near death, what we do is we find ways to age slower. We find ways to deny it. We cover up wrinkles with makeup, gray hairs with dyes. If you don't have hair, you throw a toupee on. We inject our bodies with fillers so we look young and vibrant. We get cosmetic surgeries because facing death is not really welcomed in our culture, in the Western culture that we find ourselves in. And I see this in the church world at times, too. I'm going to pick on the church world for a moment. But have you ever go on YouTube and, like, you see all these uh, videos of uh, worship bands and churches and there are these amazing songs? But uh, next time you do that, take a look at who's on the stage. You never see, like, a 60-year-old with gray hair and wrinkles leading worship. It's always 30, 40-year-olds that are good-looking and dressed the same. Even within the church evangelical world, we've gotten uncomfortable with decay and nearing death. All I have to do is hop on a FaceTime call with my dad to be reminded of this. Like last, literally last week I FaceTimed my dad and the first thing he says is, Alan, all you have to do is go to Turkey or India, they have really cheap hair transplants. He's like, you have to do it now because if all your hair falls out and then you get a hair transplant, it'll be obvious. People are going to say you were bald, now you have hair. You got to do it now before it's too late. And I'm like, yo, I just wanted to talk to you and you are attacking me as a person. Calm down. We're obsessed with not decaying, not getting older. We're trying to get around it. I don't know if you know the industry of cryogenics. It's when people that are wealthy enough, what they've done is they freeze their bodies when they die in hopes that in the future technology will catch up and their bodies will be resurrected. In so many ways, we're trying to get around what's inevitable that one day our life on earth will end, that we do not have unlimited time. There's this whole other field that human beings are studying. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's called mind uploading. And uh, what it is is they're trying to figure out is when we die, can we take our minds and put it into a computer so that our minds live forever although our bodies pass away? We're obsessed we're trying to get around death because we are so afraid of it. We are uncomfortable with it. And in many ways, we've been able to delay death because of modern technological advancements and modern medicine, which is great. We've been able to literally delay the inevitable. For example, in 1900, the average life expectancy of a person in America was 47 years of age. In 2024, it's 79 years of age. That means that over the course of over 100 years, we have been able to increase our life expectancy average by over 68%. 
We've been able to double it. So we've denied it, and we've even, because of resources and technology and medicine, been able to delay it. But the reality is that none of us can escape the inevitable, that our life will come to an end. And we get uncomfortable with it. When someone tells you that someone passed away emotionally, we get awkward. We don't know how to react to it. So where do we go from here? What do we do about death? And why are we talking about death during Lent? See, Lent, in the season that we're in, gives us an opportunity to pause and reclaim a healthy perspective on what it means to die. And it starts with this one fundamental aspect because we are reminded during Lent that mortality as human beings is okay to embrace. And here's why. In my office, when you walk into my office, um, some of you may have seen I have these five statements on the wall, and some of you have said they're depressing, but they're not for you, they're for me. And it says things like, um, you're not that important, Uh, life is not about you. And one of the statements just says this, your life will end, period. And under it, I have this verse. And it's out of Genesis chapter 3, verse 19, and it's God speaking to Adam, and he says this, for dust you are, And to dust you will return. God speaks this to Adam and there's something so grounding about it. What I remind myself of it as we remind ourselves of it. Because at times it's so easy to feel like we're in control of our lives. So easy to feel like we'll just live forever. That this, what we're experiencing, the beauty of life will just keep on going. Because we have more resources than most around the world. And we've been able to delay death through technological advancements. But during death, uh, during Lent, we remind ourselves that we are finite, fragile human beings, which means that our lives are completely and solely in the hands of God. There's something grounding about accepting and surrendering our physical bodies to Jesus. But do we stay there? On one hand, we don't want to deny the reality of death. On the other hand, Do we just sulk in it and stay in it and sit on your couch and just count down the days till you pass away? No. So what's the alternative to these two perspectives? See, the gospel offers another alternative. And Paul actually talks about this as he writes to the church in Thessalonica. And here's what he says to them. As they're dealing with this idea of death and seeing people in their own lives pass away, he says this, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 14, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. He says you're seeing some death, facing some death within your context, but you should not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. So you should not grieve like those who have no hope. It's a double negative. And so here's the alternative. For those of us who are in Christ Jesus, we are to grieve with hope. That's the alternative. Why? Because Jesus died and he rose again. It's the central part of our faith. And Paul is literally contrasting the gospel against the beliefs of the culture at the time. Thessalonica is modern-day northern Greece. And at the time, ancient Greek philosophers, they believed that your soul would pass on after death, but they did not believe in a physical resurrection. They believed that your body would come to an end. And Paul is saying, don't grieve like those who have no hope. 
Because we believe that Jesus died and physically rose again, and one day all of us will be resurrected with him. We live in a similar culture where many don't believe that there's anything beyond the grave, that there's anything beyond death. And if that's you this morning, that's okay, but here's what that means. If you don't believe that there's anything beyond the horizon, it significantly impacts the way that you live your life between this moment and the day that you pass away. It affects the way that you view your relationships, purpose, and meaning in life. It affects the way that you view love and life. It means that if there's nothing beyond the horizon, all purpose and meaning of your life is tied to the short 40 to 80 years you might have on this earth, God willing, which is a blink of an eye, a speck within the context of eternity. And here's the thing, most of us have lived life long enough to experience the highest good in life, the best parts of, of being a human being, and some of the challenges, worst parts of being a human being. And these experiences are so ingrained in who we are. And so let me give you an example. For me, the best part of my life is the ability to love others and to feel loved by others. To me, that is the highest good that humanity can have. It's to love others and to feel loved. And I feel this with my family, with my kids. I love my kids so much, I don't even know what to do about it. I'm like overwhelmed with the amount of love I have. I never thought I'd love people this much. My wife and my kids, but my kids, I just, I don't know how to express it. So I just keep kissing them over and over and over until they get annoyed. And now they're starting to say yucky and wipe off my kisses and I just keep going. But this feeling of love that I have, I don't know how to describe it. It's unconditional. It's, it's, it's overwhelming. Not only that, I feel loved by them. One of the most fulfilling parts of my life right now is opening the doors to my house and th seeing six little feet walk towards me, running towards me, and asking me to pick them up. There's nothing like it. Love is real. There's power in being able to love and feeling love, receiving love. It's the greatest good that humanity can receive and offer. But if there's nothing beyond the horizon of death, it all feels kind of meaningless. Like what I've given myself to, the people that I've given myself to, and this real thing that we feel called love where we give it and receive it. You mean God is going to allow me to experience that and then just take it away? Is God cruel in allowing us to experience the highest good as human beings only to take it away? If there's nothing beyond the horizon, then what we experience in this life, what we've given ourselves to in this life, is kind of defeating, meaningless, hopeless. It kind of feels like a waste. There's this great analogy I heard about death, and I'm going to make it my own. But imagine with me, Stephen Curry is at home, and he gets robbed, and someone ties him up at home. I know, it just took a dark turn, but go with me on the analogy. No kids around, no wife around, so it's very clean. It's just Steph Curry. He gets tied up, and the robber says, I'm going to take your life away, but before I do that, I'm going to allow you to do what you love in this life. So Steph Curry says, well, I love to play basketball. And so this robber says, okay, before I take your life, I'm going to allow you to play some basketball. So he goes in his backyard. Imagine Steph Curry shooting some hoops knowing what's about to happen. This is what it's like to live your life knowing that there's nothing beyond the horizon. You cannot experience life to the fullest with hope and be completely fulfilled if there's nothing beyond death. This is also true, not just of the highest good that we can experience, love, but also some of the trials and challenges in life that we experience. 
I recently started meeting with a spiritual director, and it's basically a fancy way of saying you talk to someone that's trying to help you navigate what God might be doing in your life, and we look back at my life, and I started sharing with her the highest points of my life and the lowest points of my life, <coughs> Excuse me, and I began to realize that some of the most challenging moments in my life have shaped me for the better. It's through some of the trials in life that I've gotten closer to people in my life, closer to God in my life. And I started talking to her about my son Ezra, and I've shared this many times, but when he was born with Down syndrome, it was a trial for us, for me and my wife. We didn't know how to cope with it and grasp it, and it was challenged my faith. I began to slam my hand on the ground and curse at God out of an emotional outburst, and I just didn't know what to do with it. But out of that, God showed me a new dimension to purpose and meaning and my faith and my love for him, and it was this beautiful experience But imagine there's nothing beyond the horizon when it comes to my son's life. It will be depressing for my wife and I. Here's what it would look like. We would just look at the stats. In fact, when we left the hospital after he was born, they gave us like this thick of a binder. And we just, I I was flipping through it the other day as we were cleaning our office. And it just has, here's what he's capable of doing. Here's what's going to happen to him. He might develop this disease and this disease. And when we view him as six months old and having open heart surgery, and then the doctors say he might need another one later on in life. And then they say his average life expectancy is 40 to 50 years. That means I might outlive him and he might develop Alzheimer's. And then... It's overwhelming the trials and challenges in life. I would grieve as if I had no hope. And that's why Paul says, don't grieve like those who have no hope. And so for me, it means there's the reality of brokenness in the world. But my trust is not in Ezra living for 40 to 50 years. My hope is that one day God will redeem all of our bodies and our brokenness and this earth. And there will be one day where there is no more tears and disabilities. There will be no more wars and violence. That one day, because Jesus has rose again, there will be a physical resurrection where we are united with him again and live in total peace for eternity. And that's the hope that we have as Christians. There is something beyond the horizon for those who put their faith in Jesus because he died and he rose again. It's the good news of the gospel. So that means the alternative for those of us who put our faith in Jesus it's to view death not as an end, but a door that leads us to all that God has for us. It means that Christ followers, when they face death, their grief cannot be rooted in despair and hopelessness. But when facing death, followers of Jesus should be the most hopeful people on earth. Think about how counter to our culture that is. A culture that's death-denying and trying to get away from it and anti-death and anti-aging. The gospel says, no, you can view it, approach it head-on, face it head-on. Not without hope, but with hope because of what Jesus has done for us. But without Jesus, death has authority over human beings. Without Jesus, it doesn't matter how rich you are, wise you are, powerful, beautiful, resourceful, influential you are. For all of history... For humanity, death has had authority over human beings. Without Jesus, all of this is temporary. But because Jesus Christ, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of a virgin, crucified by Pontius Pilate, was killed, died, was buried, 
but rose again. Because of that fact, that historical fact, you and I don't have to approach our short years on this earth without hope, but we can have all the hope in the world because he has conquered death. He has overcome death. That's good news. Death is not the end for Christians. Death, in many ways, is a gift because our mortality presents an opportunity for hope to arise in us, for faith to arise in us. The alternative to denying death and sulking in death is to grieve the reality of it, but with, the, but with hope because of what Jesus has done. Ben, you guys can come on up as I get ready to wrap up this morning. Tim Keller, he has this great analogy when it comes to death. He says this, he says that death is like a spiritual smelling salt. And people use smelling salts. You might see athletes using it before games or during games. And you smell it because it, it triggers something in your, in your membranes. And it arouses your consciousness. It wakes you up. And it's overwhelming, but it wakes you up. He says that death is the spiritual smelling salt that awakes us out of our false beliefs that we live forever. And it reminds us that everything is temporary in this life except God's love for us. That's what we do during the season of Lent. We're simply reminding ourselves that everything is temporary except God's love for you that lasts forever. That lasts forever. So because of Jesus, you and I, we can approach and face death with hope head on. Knowing that our short time on this earth is not it. And I don't know where you're at this morning. I think there's a reminder that all of us need at times. We don't even talk about it much, much at church anymore. But the gospel is rooted in this fact that we don't just live a temporary life. We are pilgrims on a journey that there is coming a day when God will restore all things. So that means if you're here this morning and you just got 10, 15, 5, 10, 15 years left on this earth, you can grieve. You can grieve that for a moment you'll lose the physical. For a moment, you'll be asleep. For a moment, you may not be able to physically see your loved ones. For a moment, you may not be able to enjoy breakfast tacos. We can also have hope that it is not final, that it is temporary, that one day that God is doing something in you that will lead you beyond the horizon of death. It means that if you're here this morning and you've got a debilitating sickness or disease, you should grieve because of how painful it is. And because of what you're experiencing, how it limits you, you can grieve that your life may be different from other people. You can grieve all these things, but you can also have hope that it is not final, that it is temporary, it is momentary. This especially applies to some of the people in the room that are the healthiest, some of the young people in the room. We're the ones that are easily fooled, we're healthy, we bounce back from sicknesses, we don't need to stretch before we play basketball. You know you got decades and decades left on this earth. But don't become like those who falsely believe that this will just go on forever. That this is it. Enjoy life, appreciate life, live your life. But ground yourself 
the fact that every waking moment of your life happens not because you are in control, but because your life is in the hands of God. And when your moment comes, you also can approach it with hope, knowing all of this is momentary. There's something beyond the horizon. Some of us have welcomed new life into this earth. Children and babies and this conversation, this message might be kind of perplexing for you and confusing in some ways. For some of us, it's healthy for us to look at these innocent ones that we're holding and say, for dust you are and to dust you will return. And in doing so, we ground ourselves not in what we're able to control, but within the story of God. All of us are pilgrims on a journey that life is a gift, but there is eternal life beyond what is temporary. Because Jesus died and rose again, the power of death has been defeated. And those of us who believe in him have been baptized with him into his death and raised to life with him, to newness of life. And the day is coming where everything will be okay. It's hopeful news. It's good news. It's the gospel. For some of us, Lent, this season might be a time for you to just take some space to grieve. Some of you, because you're afraid of death and because you've tried to put on an act or don't want to face some of those emotions, some of the losses that you faced in life, you haven't actually grieved over. The gospel does not tell you don't grieve, just have hope. He says grieve but with hope. So for some of you, this might be a moment for you to look back on your life and grieve. Mourn. Some of you military personnel, you can look back and just grieve some of the things that you've seen. Loss that you've faced. People that you've seen one day and next day they're gone. For others of you, this might be a space for you to just Grieve personal loss, friends, family members, maybe even just from a few years ago during COVID, whatever it may be. For us as a nation, it might be an opportunity to grieve that there are innocent ones being taken away in our schools or black men and women that are being killed innocently. This might be a moment for some of you to grieve tragedy and cancer and illness and old age. It's okay for you to grieve but not like those who have no hope. We grieve, but we have hope because Jesus died and rose again. One day he will make all things new again. Jesus balances this so beautifully in a story when one of his closest friends, Lazarus, he dies. And they send for Jesus. Jesus was about 20 miles away and they send for him and they say, Jesus, Lazarus has died. He kind of takes a detour, if you know the story, and it takes him four days to get to Lazarus' home. And they get there, and Martha runs to him and says, Jesus, if you had been here earlier, my brother would have lived. And Jesus says, don't you realize who I am and what I'm capable of? And she says, yes, I know that one day that he will be raised to life in the future on one day. Jesus says, no, your hope is not in a day. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He says, it's me. It's not a day, it's me. I am the resurrection and the life. And then Jesus walks towards the tomb and the Bible says, 
that his spirit was troubled and he began to groan. And it's not like the groaning that we might understand it in the English translation in the original language. It's saying that Jesus was literally trying to fight back tears in that moment. He says, where is his body? And they show him the tomb and he sees everyone mourning. It says that Jesus began to weep. This is the balance of our time here on earth. Jesus knew what he was about to do. And Jesus knew who he was. The resurrection and the life. Yet in that moment of loss, in that moment where others are mourning, Jesus himself begins to weep. That's why Paul says, weep with those who weep. It's okay for us to mourn. It's okay for us to grieve losses in life. I know it's not a sexy message. I know it's not the typical evangelical church message in America, but this is rooted in the gospel. It's central to our faith that we will face troubles in life, loss in life, tragedy in life. And when we do, we don't have to face it like those who have no hope, but we look to the cross. And when we see the cross, hope rises in us. And we can grieve because Jesus died and he rose again. And he conquered death. So in this season of Lent, we are reminded that death is not something we fear, but it is something to embrace. I want to pray for you in a moment, and we're going to sing a song. We'll come back and take communion together as a church. But I want to pray for you because I think there's probably some heaviness in the room, and some of you are currently trying to figure out what it means to face grief and loss. And maybe you're dealing with some sickness or illness or maybe you're just at a point in your life where you know you just have a short few years. And I just want to pray peace over all of us. Let me pray for you. God, we thank you that you are the resurrection and the life. That it is you, Jesus. And we put our faith in you. We thank you, Lord that you hold the keys to death and Hades. To this morning, whatever it is that your people are going through, whether they're grieving losses from years ago or a recent loss, whether they're just mourning the reality, brokenness of the world that they live in, through sin and sickness and death, thank you that it's okay for us to grieve. It's okay for us to mourn. It's okay for us to face loss. But we grieve not without hope. Our hope is that one day you will redeem and restore everything. The earth that we're sitting on, the cosmos, our physical bodies, that all things will be made new in you. That we live this life, we enjoy this life. We pray when we're sick so that you would heal us and be with us. But we still understand that we are pilgrims on a journey and that we are prepared. May we be able to embrace this balance. May you meet us, Holy Spirit. As we grieve, may you comfort us. May we not put our trust in things of this world culture that causes us, calls us to deny death and what's inevitable. May we face it head on with hope. We thank you that you give us peace to walk that out in our lives. 
So I pray for comfort and peace. I pray for a holy surrender for all of us to say, for dust you are, to dust you will return. But one day, you will restore and redeem all things. May we abide in that. May we depend on the cross where you died and you rose again. Love you. It's in your precious name we pray.